0: Welcome back to On she Goes, the podcast. Today we have a bit of a wild card episode. There will be three different interviews with four different women on three different subjects. On she Goes team member, Meron Medhani, talks to Miela Fatao and Sarah Springer on how to prepare your parents for your non-traditional work travel. Amy Lam will be speaking with On she Goes contributor, Soleil Hull about maintaining long-distance love. And I have a chat with Jen Ruiz over Skype who will give us her tips on getting the best travel deals. Enjoy the show.
1: Um hey, everyone. My name is Miela Fata. I'm currently a freelance journalist trying to take advantage of traveling and any writing opportunities that have come so far.
2: Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Sarah Springer and I am a creative director at Riot. Um, but my background is mainly in news and journalism um, and production. I've worked at places like CNN, um, ABC's Good Morning America, uh, Vice. I've done documentaries, a lot of documentary filmmaking, um, and on-the-ground on, on the ground reporting. Happy to be here.
3: And I'm Madal. I'm part of the On Goes team. I'm really just bringing Mayla and Sarah together to talk about traveling for work, but going abroad on assignments, perhaps going to places where parents aren't necessarily comfortable with you going. Um, So I know, Sarah, you've been to a bunch of places. If you want to talk a little bit about like some of the places you've been and some of the places where it might have caused your mom to worry or maybe not so much to where she would admit it?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, So one of the first things that I did uh, when I graduated undergrad was I decided to take all of my graduation money, which wasn't a lot, uh, and purchase a camera. And I headed out to do a, a complete film around the healthcare system in Ethiopia. Although it started out as a safe trip, according to my, my mom, because we started out in Addis with some, with some family, Um, I decided to extend my stay more and more each month um, and went to Gambela, um, went to all kinds of places, really just trying to investigate what was happening, whether it was through telecommunications and how to get services for health in rural areas or not at all. And so that was one of my first experiences where my mom got a little bit worried because I just didn't want to come back. And I was going to places that were outside of the areas that she had known and lived in, I mean, at that time, 30-something years prior. I think I started my mom off pretty early. I started off with the hey, let me just hit you with the you know the the fact that I'll I am going to be curious about the world, and so since then I've done um, documentaries in in Somalia, I've gone to Brazil. I have definitely scared my mom, but you know, like you said, Meron, she didn't always speak up about it um, because I think ultimately she didn't want me to get worried because of her worry.
1: Can I just say that the Habesha mom in me is like cringing and knowing that you've been at all of these places without like your mom there?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's the, the nature of it. I think that I think that there is a fear of the unknown, right, especially given we have to consider their trauma if whatever they went through. And so that protection comes also because of what they've seen. It's understandable. I- I'd love to know a little bit more about where you are, what you're planning on doing, um, uh, you know, why this even, uh, this came about.
1: Definitely. Um, sorry, the reporter and me just wants to ask all the questions and get all the answers. Basically, I'm leaving to Italy at the end of this month on a two-month freelance reporting assignment on uh, Eritrean refugees and uh, their cultural landscape. So... The passion is definitely there. Being Eritrean, getting to talk to people that look like us, and trying to understand what migration was like for them outside of hearing, you know, the stories of traveling to Libya and uh, getting on a boat, and then just kind of being in the Mediterranean until Red Cross or other nonprofits um, come to save you. So getting getting beneath uh, the surface of those like stories that we just hear naturally in conversation with our families. But this is also the first trip where I'm going somewhere that either my parents are not coming along with me or I don't know the language 110 percent or I'm not meeting relatives. My parents don't have that security. And my mom, of course, is naturally freaking out. So I guess I'm just trying to find ways to ease her stresses I realized that I'll figure it out is not an acceptable answer for her. Um, <laughs> so just trying to prepare as best as I can.
2: For sure. Uh, oh, my gosh. So the journalist, investigative injur- journalist inside <laughs> of me just got really excited. And I'm like, wait a minute. Can I come along? Uh, come on. Come on. Can I- <laughs> Yeah, no, you're such a good daughter. That's so kind and sweet of you. Um, But there really are no real ways of easing the worry of a parent. But I think that the way that you can help is by keeping communication and just assuring her that, you know, everything that she has taught you thus far, um, you will apply you know, when going out and and reporting these stories. Um, But ultimately, a parent's job is to worry. So I think that if you communicate with her, whether that's updating her on what you saw, what you heard, getting her kind of involved in the process as well, I think really helps. I know, my mom now gets really excited, and now she's calling me about uh, random Israeli uh, news stations that cover international reporting, and she's like, "Oh, you know, this is this is the next thing you need to do," and "Oh, you know, this is the documentary that you have to cover," and I'm like, "Whoa, this is completely different from what it was like in the beginning." So they start to get really involved and excited, and the more they know. About about exactly what you're doing, the better it is because then they feel like they're not in the dark, you know?
1: I love that. I love that so much. Have you ever had any scary incidences while abroad or uh, any stories that lets your mom be worried for real reasons? Uh,
2: Not really any that I've communicated with her because that's another (laughs) thing. I don't, I don't (laughs) always think that you have to, unless something actually happens to you where they have to be notified, um, I don't know that it's really necessary to add that extra layer of uh, fear (laughs) to the mix. Um, I mean, yeah, there've definitely been moments where I thought, uh uh-oh, you know, maybe I made a wrong turn here um, and I put myself, but you know, another thing that you, have already and that you will apply, especially when you're alone, is this ability to listen to your instincts. Yeah, there will be moments where it's scary and you know your mind will be pushing you to, to go beyond your comfort zone. Um, but before you do, listen to yourself. And if you're not absolutely comfortable, then walk away because that area, that space, that story then wasn't meant for
3: you, if that makes sense. Completely. I haven't had the experience that the both of you guys have, but um, I could already see that in there might be an opportunity to cover something and you're like, ah, there's something there. This would be incredible. And you go against your gut of like, "Mm, but this doesn't feel right. And, and knowing when to like back up and be like, it's okay. There's other stories there that are meant for me to tell.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, sometimes it's like, oh, but will I get that story again? Will I get that moment again? Um, Yeah. And if your gut is telling you that you shouldn't go that route, it doesn't mean that you have to leave the story alone altogether. It just means that you need to go back to the drawing board, see who else can accompany you, who else can be a part of it. And then you can, you can move forward. It's just a matter of, okay, now let me do it responsibly. So what, so where in Italy, what part, I mean, I love Italy a lot. What is your plan? What have you prepared? Is this just some, a journey on your own? Are you doing this through, like, Yeah, how are you going about this?
1: Um, Yeah, so this is is really the part of me figuring it out and just kind of going along with the flow, which is what my mom is completely terrified about. I've made plans in Rome and in some parts of Sicily, but there's that in-between that I have no idea where I'll be, who I'll be talking to, what I'll be doing, and I'm content with it, but everyone else is kind of like,
2: are you for real? <laughs> yeah, I I, th- I think you're going to be fine. Um, and you do have to take precaution as a journalist because things can happen and they do happen. But I think that's a part of it. And I think it's what life is. If we didn't take chances, again, if our parents didn't take chances, um, we wouldn't be in the places that we are now. So I understand the concern Um, But again, I think what will really help is making them uh, more aware of what this actually looks like. Um, That's another thing that I had to tell my mom was that this is what I'm interested in. This is what I want to pursue. And it's not really going to change. Now it's shifted more into activism within media. And, you know, that was another thing that my mom was scared about. Oh, you're going to lose your job and oh, don't speak up about this and don't be interested in this because what if, you know, so it <laughs> it changed uh, still the same worry, just in a different form. But in this lifetime, this is what I feel my calling is and, and um, what is important is when you do have this time, what is your purpose? You know, what are you going to change. And if that involves exposing stories about your people, then that's what it that that's just what it is. So I wouldn't worry about it. You know, before you know it, your mom is going to be suggesting uh, the next place you should go. I, I can't wait for that.
1: <laughs> do either of you and this might be a slight tangent. Do either of you, you know, being Eritrean, being Ethiopian, um, uh, us being women in a media profession, clearly not doctors, engineers, lawyers, those three prime career choices. Is there a level of responsibility or guilt that
3: either of you feel uh, having chosen the professions that we're in? Definitely not guilt because I'm not interested (laughs) in those other areas. Um, I do know that I wanted to go and study communications And my parents were like, what? That doesn't make sense. So then I went undeclared. And then a semester later, I changed to study communications. And for people who English isn't their first language and also the importance of communication in all aspects of life isn't something that was focused on among, like, with them and in the culture. Like, it's just so interesting that they're like, well, why do you need this? And so when moments happen, I'm like, this is why it's important. <laughs> like, this is why we need to talk. This is why we need to get clear and stuff like that. So I feel like it's always been a battle of, like, them never really understanding what I do. And now, um, on She Goes, we actually just recently spoke at a conference um, about three hours outside of Portland, and we talked about what we built, the importance of it, but each of us told a personal story. And the story that I told was about my name, um, which uh, we, we've we been talking about that. and uh, yeah <laughs> How, like, everyone used—like, I used to introduce myself as Maran because a teacher in school said it would be easier. And it was until I was 16 that I started going by Meton, like, my name. And so I told that story on the stage and got to share that with my mom. And she was just like, yeah, you know—she's like, I know people from other cultures, they change their names to, like, Jason and James and Cindy when, you know, they're from— Korea or China but she was just like (laughs) like no we're stubborn we'll be like no you better say Gabra Miguel you know (laughs) like you better say like we're just not willing to compromise so that was something where I'm now in a role and also my passion around advertising has been adding diverse voices and that that was my connection to ad color where we met Sarah but like It's always like, how can we tell our stories? How can we use our voice? How can we have more space for all of our different perspectives? And that was like a real tangible way to share that with my mom. And like, that was a really cool conversation to have and be like, yeah, so that's what I do at work or that's what I'm what's driving me to come to work, even if that's not what I do every moment of every day. So that was really cool.
2: That's so beautiful. And what? People can say Meron. <laughs> okay. I <can't> stand that. <laughs> Look. Not not everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but you force them. I, I love that. I don't know. My mom is a little different um when it comes to what's traditional or non traditional. Um, I think that she definitely has questions, but she also is someone who really trusts her gut and um is okay with exploring new things. My
1: mom loves to remind people that I'm like her duplicate or her twin when necessary, when it's in her favor. So she was she was a reporter in Addis for two years before the war got really bad. Her undergraduate degree is in English literature. So literally I'm a spawn of her love for storytelling and words, except in this case. Where she's like, "Mela, my daughter, stay here. You know, tell stories here." And I have to remind her, "Mom, were you like just twenty years ago? Were you not like mm-hmm. telling stories of
2: war?" What? Oh yeah, they uh, parents will have amnesia real quick <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to their kids. Um, my mom has described parenting. Like, it's as if your own heart is walking out of your chest, right? And you have all of the control of your own body and you're wondering why your heart is going in ways (laughs) and making decisions. You just don't understand why can't I control this? This this is my heart. um, But, you know, after some time and, and, you know, being reminded in, in the moments you have to accept the fact that, Your child, who is of you, you know, will make these decisions and it hurts and it's painful and the worry increases and it's not comfortable. But you live for the moments where you recognize how all of that nurturing that you put into your heart is now coming into fruition, right? You are showing her that, you know, when you come back from Italy, the stories that you've told have made such a huge difference, and she's gonna be so proud. When you pursue what you know you were meant to pursue, in the end, it just, it it all makes
3: sense. Yo, that's so real. Cause I feel like my decisions She'll take it so personally, like I'm choosing to hurt her by doing what I want to do. And it's just like, no diss, but I ain't even checking for you. Like I'm just trying to live my (laughs) life, but I'm starting to understand
2: yeah, you do as you get older. I, You really do. Even still with the bickering and, and a little bit of the pushback because you can't, you know, let that go completely. Uh, but at least, you know, there's more of an understanding and, and you can then kind of reverse that nurturing that, that you received from them. That's important because we don't recognize the sacrifice that our parents make just to protect us and so we have to give back.
1: The story that I always tell to people of why I got into journalism, of why I got into storytelling, was around this idea of this like diasporic self-trauma or this guilt um, that we naturally have being first or second generation immigrants pursuing professions or opportunities that are so outside of the norm of what our parents would do and thinking like, why pursue media when our parents fought so hard to come to this country or, you know, the, they walked from Eritrea or Ethiopia to Sudan and then found a way here. So, it, Sarah, are you talking about us being our parents like heart and essentially like walking away to a certain extent like hurts, but staying in communication with them is us returning to
2: them? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a give and take. It's a, it's a long process too, but it reflects, you know, what this life is about. Living for those moments and, and working towards your purpose. Everybody needs one. So I'm excited for you. This is exciting. Oh my God. Don't be surprised if I, if you see me in uh, Sicily. (laughs)
3: <laughs> look, like, what's up, look, girl? Come through, y'all. Okay. <laughs> come through. <laughs> um, we're going to have to wrap up, but is there any last things you want to ask or say before we close?
2: I just I just want to say that every single day is a moment to pursue and fulfill your purpose. Again, I'll say that. I'll use that a lot. And and your dreams and the whole point of that is yes, to complete something fulfilling for self, more so for the the betterment of others, and involving your family in that process, the people you love the most, is absolutely essential to giving everyone involved the chance to make it what it's supposed to be. I mean, I think that Every aspect of it is important in the process. And if that means your family or the friends you love and involving them. And I think it just makes for such a beautiful um, experience for everybody. So I will just uh, end by saying that sharing in the things that we do is what makes the very things we do what they are. That is the reason why we do it. Um, That's all I I have to say. And I think that it's going to be incredible. And I can't wait to see what you produce. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. Okay,
1: two things, Meron, and then I'm done. On She Goes is such an important and healing platform. And I'm so grateful for this conversation. Um, It felt like a comforting therapy sister session that I needed. And also, I think this conversation reaffirmed me that every day above ground is a really good day and telling our own stories is necessary
2: it is the only thing (laughs) (laughs) we have to control our narrative the truth if we're not
1: yeah (laughs) if nothing else makes sense that it does yes Absolutely.
3: And I love that you ended on that note because that makes me think of our parents and our culture and the history and the things that our lineage has gone through is so amazing and important that the most important jobs we could have are the jobs that we do have in order to like shine the light in where we're from. So I feel like we're exactly where we're supposed to be for ourselves, for our parents, for our people. So thank you for what you do. We are freedom fighters in our own right. Where can people find you online and follow your journey and what you're making, what you're talking about?
2: (laughs) Uh, So you can find me on Instagram. Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Aster, A-S-T-A-I-R-E. You can, you know... Let me uh, plug Advocates for Inclusion in Media. So an organization I started called Advocates for Inclusion in Media, AIM, um, you should definitely be a part of. It's uh, aimcoalition.org. It's a community for underrepresented people in media to uh, come together, to share in their experiences, um, give advice. We also hold events and really just try to protect one another as we try to navigate these Spaces that are not always meant for us. So, um, and we're also on um, Facebook, so join our group and yeah, let's build a community.
3: And then, Maela,
2: the you can
1: find me on Twitter and Instagram at Miela Fetao, M I E L A F E T A W, as I attempt to navigate these next two months doing work for our people and appeasing my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks ladies. This
2: is great. Thank you so much for the opportunity, madam. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much, Madam
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Hey, guys. It's Sarita. I'm talking to Jen Ruiz from the travel site Jen on a Jet Plane, who's also a full-time lawyer, a budget travel expert, and the author of The Affordable Flight Guide. Jen, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you for having me, Sarita. So I want to ask you a few questions first. Um, The biggest question, how did you start off on this path? I did not realize that you were a lawyer. Can you tell us a little bit about Um, yourself, and and how you've started on this affordable travel path, excuse me.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Sure thing. Um, So I started traveling um, just a little bit, dipping my toes in the water when I first made the transition from private law to nonprofit law. I think that that really afforded me the freedom to be able to take bank holidays uh, and just a little bit more time off than I would have in a private setting. Uh, And I think from there, it evolved once I hit my 29th birthday, uh, and I started to get that panic about 30 that I think a lot of women do, especially young professionals who have worked very hard and have accomplished a lot in their lives on paper, but maybe feel like personally that they'd still... Have a long way to go in terms of um, fulfillment and goals. Uh, So for me, I really wanted to accomplish something big before 30. I wanted to do something where I could say, at least I did that. You know, if I didn't get a husband and a baby before 30. I got 12 trips in 12 months. So um, that was kind of how this all started as an alternative to, I guess, societal pressures um, and a way to push back and take back my life and really find joy in my day-to-day without having to be dependent on others or other circumstances.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about your book, The Affordable uh, Flight
4: Guide? Yes, definitely. So I... Wrote this book because the one thing that people kept asking me over and over again was how I was able to find all of these cheap flights. Um, because as a nonprofit attorney, you know, making the switch from private to nonprofit is great in terms of lifestyle, but you definitely make a sacrifice in terms of. Fiscal compensation. Um, So I had to find a way to get creative. I figured if people could do extreme couponing, then I could do an equivalent of that, but for flights. So I read every book possible. I learned about travel hacking. I signed up for Um, different travel credit cards, and I started really tracking my miles and my points and trying to see how I could redeem them for the most value. I'm aware of whenever there's a sale or an airfare or something big going on where there's a lot of movement or airlines competing with each other for a big Europe sale, which maybe happens a couple times a year, I'd say four times a year at least, um, I just put everything that I knew about it, everything that I had researched into one place. And so far the reception has been really great. People are finding that it's helping them and that, that was the goal. I put as many links in there as possible just to direct them to the right place and help them get started because I think it's overwhelming for somebody that's beginning, um, but there's so many cheap flights available that there's no reason to be paying, you know, thousands of dollars to go anywhere.
0: I saw on your Twitter, You mentioned that you got a flight from Miami to New Zealand for $38. What? That's amazing. (laughs) is, Is it just the flight deals? Is it just knowing when the airlines are competing? Is it just having the best possible flight miles credit card? Like, is it all of these things? Yes, it's a combination. And so you
4: have to use different strategies for every flight. So with New Zealand in particular... That was one that I had accumulated a lot of miles for. And I knew I wanted to redeem these miles to go somewhere that's going to be hard to reach on a normal basis through budget airlines that they rarely make mistakes on. So I found this deal in New Zealand and I was able to get in with enough points to book the flight there for $38. But the flight back, wasn't, I didn't have enough points to redeem it. And I think most people would have looked at that and they would have been like, oh man, this is why travel credit cards are a scam. They say it's going to be a free round trip ticket, but it doesn't actually work. And they would have just given up and kept going. But, um, I realized that if you just get creative with it, so I could get the flight there using about maybe 60% of the points that I had, and then use the remaining points to bring me back from Hawaii because Hawaii is domestic. So by default it was just less expensive and then it translated to less points. So I was able to get both of those flights with my point allowance and then I just had to pay out of pocket for the connection from New Zealand to Hawaii which was about $250. So it came out total for just a little bit over 300 total for all the flights together. I get a stopover in Hawaii and it Just it worked out. And I think at the end, you just have to be creative when you're looking at it that way instead of readily giving up or thinking that these things never work or they could never really apply to me because they can if you just find a way to utilize them to your benefit.
0: Wow, that is really good advice. Um, One of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is like getting a new credit card um, and finding one that like will give me miles and stuff like that. Um, And it's funny because it's like you can get one with an airline, but I don't even know if that transfers over to all of the airlines, you know. And a lot of us, especially me, and full disclosure, I kind of got like caught up in the credit card sweep in college where like I ended up with some random credit card that offers you nothing and that I feel like I pay more than than I actually get back. Um, Sure. That one's gone now, but I have another one that's also not worth a damn. So, I mean, what do you feel is the best— Um, Starter credit card for people who maybe who don't have like super established credit, um, but also do want to get points and stuff for flight
4: miles and travel and stuff like that. So that was me. When I first started all of this, I had avoided credit cards like the plague. Like you, I had gone down the wrong path. I'd actually gotten a, a Victoria's Secret credit card. And I think, you know, a pair of lingerie ended up getting me uh, hundreds of dollars in debt down the road. I never got notices. I moved around so much in college. So I just was unaware of irresponsible. And it wasn't something that really dawned on me the importance of credit. And now having gone through law school and having to report, you know, Every speeding ticket, every single thing you've ever had in your life to pass for the bar, I'm very cautious about the things that I sign up for in general. Um, And so I had steered away from credit. So even at my age, at 29, I was still classified as technically new credit um, because I didn't have an established credit history. So when I first Ventured into this. I had, you know, a secured card that I had gotten back in law school for a very, like, just a couple hundred dollars just to get something and to start doing something as I was graduating and realized that I had this problem. And that's, I think, what I realized was the value of this was just that everyday purchases um, could be accruing you miles and points. And there's different kinds of credit cards, which I'll touch upon because you mentioned if they translate or not. It depends because they have credit cards that are either with just one airline, which is what you mentioned. So let's say you have an American Airlines, a United card, anything like that. The points you get there will be redeemable for them or their partner airlines. Um, And then you have credit cards that accrue reward points. So like um, the Chase Sapphire cards or things like that. And you can redeem them on whatever they have available in their program. They have a very extensive travel program, so you can redeem on anything from, you know, rental cars, hotels, things like that, and get extra miles for those purchases. And then you have um, the last credit card, which will only allow you to redeem with um, a set group of airlines that they offer. So you have different kinds of credit cards. I I think it's good to start with an airline-specific one if you're looking to get travel points and rewards, because you know you're going to be guaranteed that bulk sign-up, uh, and that's where you're going to get the most of your benefit. Pick an airline that flies out from around you. So for me, and that isn't overly expensive. For me, that was JetBlue because JetBlue flies a lot from Fort Lauderdale. And they have good fares generally. They're considered technically a budget airline. But they're also, I think, the top rated airline in the country for years now. Um, so I picked them. I started with a very low credit limit because, mind you, they were like, who is this girl with no credit? Um, But they gave me a shot because I didn't have anything, you know, bad on my record necessarily. And even for the people that do, I think if you talk to the airlines and and negotiate with them, they might be able to start you off at a lower limit but still offer you that bulk sign-up miles, which, again, that's where the money is, honey. Like, that's what you need to go after. If you wanted to take a dream trip somewhere that has just been absolutely out of your budget, paying $3,000 in three months to get those bulk sign-up miles for expenses you'd pay anyways, like rent and all kinds of things, your groceries, your bills, all of that that you're paying anyways could just be going to be earning you miles and points. So I highly advocate that if you're somebody that just wants to dip your toes in the water and see if this is something that can work out to your benefit.
0: So I know, like, for me specifically, um, and maybe for some others, when I think of budget travel, I think of things like like Disney on a dime. Or, like, I'm I'm going to go and, like, stay in the, you know, La Quinta. Well, there's nothing wrong with La Quinta. I actually am a fan. But, you know, I'm going to stay in the budget hot- motel. I'm going to, like, you know, it can't be luxurious at all. Does budget travel have to be non-luxurious? Or or can you still, like, get the most out of it? Can you still have a luxurious leisurely trip
4: the answer is yes on both counts because it doesn't have to be expensive if you know a couple of tips so i'm not going to lie to you if you want to go to italy in july like you're going to have a hard time you're competing with everyone else in the world that wants to be there then so one of the things i recommend is off-season travel especially if you're somebody that wants to have higher-end accommodations just because those prices slash dramatically during off-season Um, I also recommend doing rentals sometimes and varying it up because it depends. It's not always going to be that an Airbnb or shared housing situation is the cheapest. I use Expedia a lot. And uh, since I book with them a lot, I accrue points and it ends up getting me different discounts and just generally at least 5 to 10% cheaper on fares. Uh, or hotel rates that I see on there. As a general rule, I've never, and I don't mean to sound any particular, but I've never stayed in a hostel. It's not for me. I'm just not going to do it. The shared dormitory thing, I like. As a, female, as a solo female traveler, I need the security and the safety of a deadbolt between me and the rest of the world at night. I need that space to unwind. I cannot go to sleep with some random person snoring next to me. Like that would just not work. So I just, uh, for me, that's not how I travel and that's okay. And I think everybody has different methods, but don't think that because you're on a budget that you have to sacrifice some of your must-haves.
0: You know, I agree with you on the hostile thing. I feel like... I missed my hostel window like when I was like 18, 19. I'm like, okay, well, that's over. Cause like I'm 36 now. And let me tell you, I'm not going to be sleeping in a hostel. I'm just not. So, one of the things that we talked about a lot. In the beginning, when we first started on She Goes, was the different reasons why women of color are not traveling as often. It's not just representation, but it's also uh, sometimes it's fear that's passed down from generations. Um, And a lot of times as women, we're told that we can't go anywhere by ourselves. What's your view on this? And like as as someone who is a solo travel expert, like what
4: is your overall on that? So I'm not going to lie to you and say that it's been completely without its issues. As females, we are automatically, we draw more attention to ourselves. Um, we, people look at us when we go someplace and when we're there alone, they want to know why we're there alone. They want to know what's going on. Are we lost? We draw attention, any kind of woman in any way. And so I think it's important to yes, be savvy and be, uh, secure, but also understand that, um, sometimes things can go wrong and it's okay. It's not the end of the world. I had a very unfortunate incident in Argentina, um, where I sat in the front seat of the Uber and the, an Uber driver actually somewhat assaulted me on the way to the airport to try to like make out with my face. Um, it was all very, uh, it was a lot that was happening. And I think at the time I was unsure how to handle it. And I thought, wow, like this is really, that's when it dawned on me how dangerous it really is. Like here I am, In a car, nobody knows where I am. Nobody can really track me. In a moment, anything can happen. So I was, I think with my skills, I was able to kind of play it off, keep it moving. Nothing too bad happened. We were able to get to the airport in one piece. And then I immediately ran to the bathroom, you know, called everybody, my mother, um, and got that out. And I was able to actually share it afterwards on social media and was surprised by how many women empathized with me and shared those fears and were concerned and moved by my story and had experienced similar things. So I think that in general, we have a different experience than men do. It's just the way it is. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, without its issues because everything has its issues, but we can make the most out of these experiences. We can really share and empower others. And most of all, we can keep moving so that whenever we encounter setbacks, we don't let it stop us. And that same kind of resilience later translates to how we conduct ourselves in our life overall mm-hmm.
0: that all makes perfect sense i love it i like i feel like you should just host this podcast i don't like <laughs> seriously <laughs> i do um where's your favorite place to travel like wh- the best place
4: you've been to and why hands down it's the south of france um It was just such a fantastic time. I have always dreamed about the lavender fields there, just seeing waves of purple. And I was finally able to make that a reality. I always try to fit in so much and do as much as I can. And that's great. And I love doing that because I feel like I do short trips and I want to take advantage of the time where I'm somewhere new. But the best part about France was that the south of France, it's not a condensed city. It's spread out by nature. So you really have no choice but to take it easy. You have a long drive from here to the next city. You're going to see sunflower fields along the way. Like There's really nothing to be rushing or worrying about. And that feeling of relaxation and release was just so needed for me. Right in the middle of the year, it helped reinvigorate me and remind me of why I was doing this in the first place um, and helped me push through to really complete and finish off with a bang. And so here's the other side of
0: that question. Where do you wanna go that you haven't been yet?
4: Turkey, I have been dying to get to Turkey. I have been wanting to see Cappadocia and take a hot air balloon there. Uh, I've been wanting to go to Istanbul and just uh, see the Hagia Sophia I've just been wanting to see so much there and uh, the Pumakale Springs I'm probably butchering that but they have these natural springs there that are gorgeous all times of year um, the winter they have snow in the summer they cascade I mean it's beautiful so but I've been waiting for the opportunity and I'm hoping that it'll present itself soon because I would love to visit there.
0: I'm sure it will. Um, And so last kind of question, is there any advice that you would give our listeners that you feel like I
4: haven't really touched on yet? Um, So I think that in general, people should know where to look for flights. So they should get signed up for flight alerts so that flights come to them. Number two, Uh, be open to taking budget airlines. So don't necessarily, you know, scoff on spirit because they can get you to Puerto Rico and back for $120 round trip. Um, I'm so so, scared of spirit. (laughs) And a lot of people are, honestly. And At the end of the day, they have good deals. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The budget airlines are just like any other airlines. And at safety-wise, actually, since a lot of them are new, they actually have to comply with stricter, newer regulations. So you may be even safer on one of the newer budget airline planes than you would be on one of the older fleets. So just something to keep in mind. Uh, And then the last thing I would say, just uh, I would encourage people to, to do something different, to step outside of their daily bubble, to not feel constrained by student loans or a set path or society's expectations, because there's so much that you can do with your life. You can live Nine lives, you know, in the span of one, you can have different careers and have different loves and go to different places. And you can be all these people and still be you and have that be part of what makes you you. So um, I would just encourage you not to wait and and to act.
0: Wonderful. Uh, Jen, thank you so much. This was so great. Um, please tell everyone and our listeners where to find you uh, on Instagram, Twitter.
4: Yes. So you can find me. Uh, my website is Jen on a Jet plane. And it's the same handle across all social media channels. And then the guide is, is the Affordable Flight Guide, like you mentioned, and that's on Amazon.
0: Wonderful. We'll put the link uh, to the Affordable Flight Guide on Amazon. We'll also have all of the links uh, for your websites and all your social on um, our podcast page. Jen, again, thank you so much. So good to meet you. Thank you, Sarita. You, you too. too. All right. Bye, hon. Bye.
5: I'm so excited to be talking to my friend, Soleil Ho, who is a chef, writer, and podcast maker. Soleil is living in Puerto Vallarta and her partner, Chris, is living in Minneapolis and they've been apart for seven months. Um, I can kind of identify because right now I'm living in northern Mississippi and my partner lives in Portland, Oregon. So I'm really excited to talk to Soleil about what it means to even travel or live apart um, from our partners. Hey Soleil, how's it going? Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, of course. I'm so excited that you're here. Um I I really wanted to talk to you because I think that like it's different for me to live away from my partner, but we're still like at least within the same country. Um, like we don't have to carry our passports to see each other. I think for you it's a little bit maybe more difficult. I'm wondering, like, in terms of your relationship, like what challenges have maybe you've had from living apart and also because you're living abroad? Mm. So, okay. One thing that's really hard is phone calls because
6: it's a lot harder to casually call somebody when they're in a different country. And another thing that's really difficult too, is that, well, my, my hours are different. I am a chef, so I work a lot of the time, and we have opposite schedules on top of that. So like, even if we were living together in the same place, having opposite schedules would be hard, but then it's compounded by us not even being like around each other. And so, because even like, you know, the United States is so big, so, but you could live in different ends of the United States, but you're in the same country, you know, it doesn't feel as wide of a gulf for some reason.
5: So you mentioned that, you know, it's kind of difficult to just sort of pick up the phone to chat with him. So then how, how do you keep in touch with him? You know, I think we mainly just text,
6: and um, I think it's also a symptom of us having been together for so long. We've been together for almost ten years, and so we don't feel super compelled to to talk and talk and talk every day. I know some people do, and that's fine. It's just not kind of our style, um, and it's also kind of at the point where, like, if we do talk, it's more painful than healing you know what i'm saying because it's just it just reminds you of what you're missing and so putting up that distance and just kind of going through chat or text or whatever um, i don't know it makes it feel guarded in a way that is helpful in a perverse <laughs> in a perverse sort of way
5: well i hadn't thought about how it could sort of make you feel worse cuz like i think i me and danny are the same because we've been together for almost 8 years and we don't need to like see each other or talk to each other every day. Like I have a, a friend here in Mississippi who's, I I think is currently like in a puppy love phase with his partner. And they literally will like uh, FaceTime and eat dinner together. And I think that's really adorable. <laughs> but that's not what me and Danny are doing. Um, and I think that when you have to like do phone calls, you have to like set time aside and it, with busy schedules, it can be a lot of work. But you're so right. I think that like, having been together for a a longer period of time really helps.
6: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We've, we've talked about this before. It was sort of an, it's always been an element of our relationship, I think, because, you know, we got together in college and we spent our summer breaks, you know, and our breaks away from each other because we'd go home to our respective homes. And one of our first conversations actually (laughs) was, um, He's a musician, and so he was asking, you know, if I go on tour for a few months, like, would that be okay? And that was probably the first week that we were dating. Um, and I was like, well, when are you going to go on tour? Like, we're in college, and like, oh, you know, when I'm like 26 or something. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's always kind of been on our minds, and I think we're both so independent, and also just people who's whose jobs and whose lives just take us on the road a lot. We love to travel. And so we don't have this very attached sort of like idealistic view of of that. I think honestly I've been the driver behind a lot of that because he's a lot more traditional. But I just I'm just so independent. (laughs) Like the honestly the thought of 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 Skyping someone and having dinner with them on the phone (laughs) is kind of nauseating to me. No offense to your friend. I think that's adorable. But like, I wouldn't be able to do that because it's just so, so needy in a way that I just cannot be.
5: No, I told. I completely understand you. And also <laughs> because like, I like to watch my stories sometimes while I'm eating. <laughs> or I like to like read a book while I'm eating sometimes. And um, I think that FaceTime would just like be interrupting me and I would ra- really rather not. <laughs> Um, so I did want to ask because like, since you were the one that had to leave, cause like you were originally based in the U S and you're the one that had to move to, um, Mexico was your partner supportive of this or like, how did you guys work out? Like, how do you support one another in this situation?
6: So, um, yeah, it was, it was my sort of thing, my project to move to Mexico and he came out with me for a while actually. And, um he he was very supportive and he would help out but you know eventually it, it was clear that he didn't have a lot to do in mexico so we were like okay just go and so really the support is mutual and it comes from just being realistic about what the other person wants and needs and if what they want and need isn't necessarily like in the same place as you i think being open to that is is good and you know not punishing the other person for for having desires and requirements, essentially, um, that don't include you. I think it's fine to have a life that does not include your partner. Um, Not like an entire life, but just like have aspects of your life, have interiority that is private.
5: Was it anything that you guys like sort of explicitly discussed or is it just sort of like built into like the fabric of your relationship? I think we sort of, um, we started with that assumption,
6: but we also Of course went back and forth about boundaries and you know what it would look like constantly over the course of our relationship um just just like negotiating the sort of support system that we were able to make for each other
5: well speaking of like constant communication and keeping that open i'm wondering like how do you and chris like keep the magic alive (laughs) <laughs> um, I don't know, like, you. okay, I, oh my god, I'm going to feel kind of like I'm exposing myself a little, but uh, so definitely for the first months when I was here... Like, I was so busy with school because I was starting an entirely new grad program, and he was back to his life, and he was missing me a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, wink, wink, he missed me. Uh, <laughs> um, and so we had to, like, figure out how to, like, negotiate that, and, like, you know, we're not, like, we're not, like, a young, sexing-each-other type of folks, Um but, you know, we figured out balance and we made it work so that, like, you know, we visit, we physically visit each other enough times and make sure we plan out trips in that way. Um, so I'm thinking that that's what I mean by magic when mm-hmm. I'm talking about magic. Um, but because, you know, like a relationship is more than just like the mental and emotional connection, but also like there's the, the physical connection that you're missing when you're so far apart.
6: hmm. Yeah. So, um, okay. Sexy pictures I love. Although, you know, it's hard with men. Men are difficult for me because, you know, it's not just curse. I think it's just men in general. Men can't take a single sexy picture that appeals to me. I just don't understand. Like I don't I don't get it. You know, like women are so much better at it. Oh my god. Like, who you're who so right? a dick pic.
5: Seriously. I mean, like, it's like, he'll just sometimes, oh, is going to kill me for saying this, but sometimes <laughs> we'll just, like, you know, just, like, text each other the eggplant, and then, like, it's enough. Like, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, I, I would take the eggplant over a dick pic. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I mean, like also because like in a way the eggplant is like silly and fun and there's like not this like uh, pretense to be like, ooh, I'm going to like sexy this up for something, you know? I mean, I'll
6: send sexy pictures and I don't require them from him because he's a man and he's just not going to be able to give me anything that is appealing, (laughs) which is, you know, he is sexy. I I enjoy him, but you know, just the pictures part is just difficult. So <laughs> it's just not on the table. I don't need it. Um, other ways I think that are interesting are, you know, of course, I'm looking at stuff, <laughs> and so I'll just I'll send it along to him too, just to be like, oh, here, this is what I'm looking at lately. This is what's what's ah. like really scratching the itch. And so, like, he, mm. you know, that way we can sort of like see what what is interesting to us because of course like your idea of what is sexually appealing is always evolving you know regardless of you know who is next to you so it's good to like keep tabs on that as well i think that is super interesting and fun to talk about
5: well i really love that hearing that that like you guys are like watching you know watching the same uh quote unquote content communicating in that way um that sounds that's, just, that's such a great idea. I really love it. So, that's kind of like a way to think about how you guys are bridging the gap in terms of like connecting physically or to satisfy like other types of desire. But I'm wondering if like because you're so uh Physically far apart. Have there been times where you feel like you're experiencing, I don't know, like distance emotionally or mentally? And if you have, like, how, like, what are ways in which you like communicate to sort of fix that or to make it so that you're not feeling it as much?
6: Ooh, that's a very complicated question. I like it. So um, (laughs) I'm very good at compartmentalizing, and that is a personal thing. Um,
5: Same, 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 same. (laughs) Yeah.
6: And so, you know, I can put the relationship in a box and I take out the box when I'm ready to take out the box. You know, the rest of the time, you know, I don't have to think about it. And so, yeah, I mean, I do do that same sort of distance that you're talking about. And, you know, on some level, I think like, oh my God, I'm a psycho, you know? Um, (laughs) Well, like, how is this so easy? But it is. And it's just how it helps me deal because it, you know, if you're obsessing over it, obsessing over how much you miss this person constantly, how do you live? How do you live your life and be functional? I don't know. I mean, if someone has figured out how to do that, that's interesting for them, but that's just not how I could live my life.
5: I, you know, like one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you about this in particular is because like, You know, um, when you told me you're moving to Mexico to open a restaurant with your mom, I was like, fuck yes. I'm so excited for you. This is like such a great opportunity. But the other thing that I I really respect about you is that like you're so about like doing your own thing and reaching your goals. And while like, you know, respecting um, the people in your life and like what, how your decisions will affect them. But ultimately, you're about like doing what you wanna do. And that's, like, as a, as a, you know, I really appreciate that, like, as a friend, like, watching you do your thing, like, that's amazing because, like, you know, like, I also have had friends where they're, like, well, I don't know I can make this, like, big life decision because, like, I have a partner to think of and, like, I don't know how this will affect them. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it's, and I don't think it's selfish at all that you want to do a thing that, like, satisfy you in, like, so many ways. Um... And I think that, like, especially for women and especially, I think, for, like, women of color, like, especially for you and I as, like, Asian-American women, like, we've been taught to sort of um, do things to please other folks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially when you're partnered, right? It's like, you got to keep your partner because like, what if like, you know, otherwise you're going to grow up to be like an old maid or some shit like that. <laughs> 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 so then so then you're like being forced to like sacrifice a lot. And, and I think that like, sometimes you and I have talked about this, um, but like about the work that our mothers have done and that we've watched our mother do, mothers do and like the sacrifices that they've done. And sometimes it's like, I think for me to see a peer do that and, and to say like, this is, like, the the route I want to take. And, like, my partner's going to have to support me and, like, come along with me um, whether or not it's, like, the most ideal situation. So, I... I that's just... This is just me, like, fangirling. <laughs> <laughs> so- fangirling Aww. you and, like, all the amazing work that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, like, one of our listeners um, had actually was the one who, like, wanted to know more about, like, what it means to, like, travel and to live abroad or, like, to be away from your partner for an extended period of time. And one of the questions that they asked um, was, do you ever run into a situation or feelings where maybe, like, you have a lack of trust in your partner? Or are there any trust issues between you and your partner from being so far away from one another?
6: Huh. I guess I'll have to interpret it in terms of cheating or adultery because that, mm-hmm. I guess that's how I read it, right? Is that is that? I mean, that's legitimate.
5: I, I, I mean, that's how I would read it. Yeah,
6: yeah. And so I've never been jealous of of Chris, or I guess I've never had that feeling. And I think it's something I've had to work towards. I guess my my sense is, you know, who would I be jealous of? <laughs>
5: <laughs> Damn, so late. <laughs> oh my god! Yes. <laughs> You know what? Okay, like, I also kind of feel the same way. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) and like, I, you know, it feels funny to say that out loud, but it's true because like Danny and I also don't have trust issues. And I, I think it, I think for you and I, maybe it comes from having been with our partners for a long time. And like, you have to trust one another. Like, maybe if there's ever a moment where, there are reasons not to trust one another, then that's something where you have to rethink the relationship and whether you should like continue to have that relationship while you're away from one another.
6: Right. And you also have to think about like, what are the taboos in your relationship? And do you trust your partner to not violate those taboos? And so that's different for every relationship. For instance, right? If one of the taboos is like having sex with someone else, can you trust your partner to not do that? Or, you know, maybe revisit that taboo and be like, okay, well, like, is this actually a big deal? Like if we break this, it won't feel like such a big deal if we go into it like knowingly and consciously, right? So trust issues come from a lack of communication and not being able to like talk to your partner about the things you need and maybe the way your attitude is changing and your feelings are changing. If you can't have these frank conversations, then that's a whole deeper thing that you need to work through.
5: Oh, you're you're so right. Yeah. I think ultimately like, for you and I and for maybe like some of our listeners, like they're thinking that they're going to be in the position of like, you know, traveling abroad for an extended period of time or like living abroad for a long period of time. And if you're already having weird, icky feelings about like trust what in whatever way you, you want to interpret that, um, then maybe it's better to not continuing that relationship while you're abroad. Mm-hmm. What helps is is not
6: not feeling like like your relationship is not negotiable. There's always opportunities to hold aspects of your relationship up into the light and ask, you know, is this the way we want to continue doing this?
5: Besides like I think what we've just discussed, like what are some tips that you can think of for couples who are getting ready to maybe experience a long a long-term or long-distance relationship?
6: Oh man. Um, so yeah, I would, I would continue to say, have a really raw conversation about what the boundaries are, what sorts of gray areas are okay. You know, like, is it okay to maybe go on some dates just to kind of fulfill that like physical need that you have? Is it, is it not okay? Is it okay to like experiment or, you know, do weird stuff while you're out? You know, what what behavior is tolerable and what is like the the line and how much communication do you each expect from each other on the daily? That way there's no like hidden resentment because the the hard part when you're traveling and when you're apart is that resentment can build up on one side and you would have no idea because you're not interacting with this person face-to-face all the time. So really being clear about like, okay, what might cause me to feel resentful let's talk about it at the beginning before the trip even starts is a really good idea.
5: Yeah, and I I just got reminded that um, right before I left to go live in Bangladesh for a year and a half, Uh, I started hooking up with somebody and we, like, uh, fell in love. Oh! (laughs) Uh, Whatever that means. Um, And, but then we didn't have, like, clear, I don't know, we didn't communicate what we wanted from one another and in the end, like, it just fizzled. I wasn't that hurt because I I knew better, you know, and, like, he had a whole life to live and I didn't expect him to wait for me at all. But I think that, like, in situations like that, it would have just been easier for both of us if we would have just said, like, exactly what do we want from one another and it could have resulted in like a lot of hurt feelings um if not for the fact that like sometimes I just don't give a fuck so <laughs> it's just like whatever I'm, <laughs> I'm living my life so now I don't have to worry about you like go ahead date whoever you want um but I think maybe for other people in that situation like it could have resulted in a really terrible hurt feelings so I you know either you communicate like very clearly or just Don't give a fuck and just go with the flow. You
6: know, I would, you know, I would, of course, advocate for the first one every time. (laughs)
1: Please
6: communicate. (laughs) The pitfall people fall into is, is, I think, assuming that monogamy looks the same for everyone. You know, if you're monogamous, that there's a whole set of behaviors that are expected and, of course, easy to follow. But that's not the truth your relationship is your relationship so you get to decide what it looks like what's okay what's not okay and really examine what you personally are okay with so that you know whatever happens you consented to it
5: that was so perfect i think we should just end there
0: <laughs> <laughs> yay that was perfect
5: oh that you're so good.
0: smart oh my god stop Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Remember, please feel free to write us at hello at onshegoes.com or you can slide in our DMs at onshegoes on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. See ya!